at 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's February 2nd. I'm Kelly Reese. This is your KVMR Friday Evening News Magazine. We've got some wild winter weather this weekend. We have the details from the National Weather Service coming up. And speaking about weather predictions, Hydrogeologist Steve Baker joins KVMR's Paul Emery to talk atmospheric rivers and just how meteorologists determine what to report in their weather forecasts. The Nevada County Library welcomed a sixth member to its literary family this week. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza sends us a dispatch from the Bear River Library ribbon-cutting ceremony. There, he catches up with County Library Director Nick Welzick who speaks about some special features rolling out with the new branches opening. Then, unless you're a stock market groupie, you may not be well-versed in the ins and outs of financial instruments. That's where Money Matters host Mark Cunaberti comes in. In today's commentary, Mark attempts to translate the language of financial instruments. And stick around for the Friday News Magazine's finale with an essay by Molly Fisk. Have you ever thought to yourself, gee, my phone's weather app is pretty poetic? Well, you might start having that thought after listening to Molly's latest piece. That's all coming up. Your Friday News Magazine starts now. Let's take a look at your weekend forecast from the National Weather Service. A flood watch is in effect from early Sunday morning through early Tuesday morning. The flood watch covers the Sacramento Valley area, Placerville, Angels Camp, and the northeast foothills, including Nevada City and Grass Valley. Be sure to keep your eye on forecasts and be alert for possible flood warnings. And for those weekend skiers and snow lovers aching to get to Lake Tahoe between storms, National Weather Service meteorologists recommend trying your luck Saturday but they warn to stay off highways Sunday and Monday when as much as four feet of snow could fall. The National Weather Service writes, quote, What looks like the most significant and impactful storm of the winter season so far is knocking on our door. They advise drivers to expect major travel impacts from Sunday through Tuesday in the Truckee Tahoe area. Travel will be, quote, very difficult to impossible from travel delays snow-covered roads, and reduced visibility with possible chain controls and road closures. Drivers are advised to carry chains, emergency kits containing food, water, and warm clothing, blankets or sleeping bags, and to make sure their cars are fueled up before heading into the mountains. Like we mentioned previously, the snow is expected to stop on Saturday, giving drivers relatively clear roads and just a small chance of light snow but drivers are advised to get off the roads by Saturday night in preparation for heavy snowfall the following two days. Quote, When we get this much snow up there, there are going to be chain controls or straight-up closures, says Colin McKellar, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Reno. He describes the impending storm as the first major storm expected to slam the Sierra this winter. Quote, There's going to be quite a lot of snowfall, especially the higher you get. Snowfall has been pretty light so far this winter. This is definitely our first major storm, says McKellar. Forecasters say the storm could bring three to four feet of snow, possibly more, to Donner Pass and Echo Summit, and more than a foot is expected at lake level. 
The latest forecasts predict the heaviest snow will affect traditionally heavy traffic periods, including the Sunday evening post-ski commute as well as Monday morning travel. That's an overview of this weekend's winter weather in the Truckee Tahoe region, but let's take a closer look at the impacts in some of our other listening areas. For those in Nevada City and Grass Valley, tonight rain showers before 11 p.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Some thunder is also possible. Patchy fog between 8 p.m. and 10 p.m. with a low around 32 degrees. Little or no snow accumulation is expected. Saturday, a chance of rain and snow showers before 10 a.m. It'll be partly sunny with a high near 45. Saturday night, see showers mainly after 4 a.m. The rain could be heavy at times. A low around 33 degrees. Sunday, showers with the possibility of heavy rain. Patchy fog in the afternoon with a high near 47. Sunday will be breezy with gusts up to 43 miles per hour. Sunday night, we'll see showers. Patchy fog before 10 p.m. and a low around 39 degrees. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight mostly cloudy with a low around 14 degrees. Snow showers are likely with new snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches possible. Saturday, mostly sunny with a high near 32. Saturday night sees a chance of snow showers between 11 p.m. and 5 a.m. Snow could be heavy at times. Saturday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 15 degrees. New snow accumulation of 3 to 5 inches is possible. Sunday, snow with the potential for heavy snow at times. New snow accumulation of 10 to 16 inches is possible, a high near 33 degrees. Sunday night, we'll see that snow continue. It'll be breezy with a low around 24 degrees. New snow accumulation of 3 to 7 inches is possible. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, partly cloudy with a low around 42 degrees. Saturday, partly sunny with a high near 55 a 30% chance of precipitation. Saturday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 45 degrees. Sacramento could see up to an inch of rain Saturday night. Sunday, showers with patchy fog afternoon and a high near 55. Sunday night will see showers and patchy fog continue with a low around 48 degrees. The National Weather Service has issued a wind advisory for the Sacramento area in effect from 10 p.m. Saturday to 10 p.m. Sunday the strongest winds are expected south of I-80. And for Placerville and Angels Camp, tonight, showers and thunderstorms before 1 a.m. with a low around 34 degrees. Saturday, a chance of showers before 11 a.m., then a slight chance of showers after 4 p.m., partly sunny with a high near 50 degrees. Saturday night sees a 50% chance of showers mainly after 10 p.m. It'll be mostly cloudy with a low around 37 degrees. Sunday, showers with a high near 50 degrees. It'll be windy with gusts as high as 48 miles per hour. Sunday night sees showers before 10 p.m. and then showers and thunderstorms between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Patchy fog before 9 p.m., a low around 44 degrees. You're listening to the Friday Evening News Magazine on KVMR. The Nevada County Library gained a new South County branch this week, and KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza was there for the ribbon-cutting. Up ahead, Claudio speaks to County Library Director Nick Welzick about the new Bear River Library and the special features they're rolling out with its opening. Nevada County's newest library branch is officially open to the public. 
Welcome everyone to the Bear River Library opening day. On Thursday morning, branch manager Mandy Kelsey and Nevada County District 2 Supervisor Ed Schofield cut a large red ribbon to mark the official opening of the new Bear River Library. I caught up with the library director, Nick Welzick, right after the ceremony. We are at the new Bear River Library down near Lake of the Pines. It's our sixth branch, and we are thrilled to be having it open. It's wonderful. Before the opening of this branch, South County patrons had limited time to access their local library. So for 20 years, Nevada County Library provided library services out of the Bear River High School Library. And that was great because it gave us a space to be. We wouldn't have been able to provide library services in this part of the county otherwise. But it did present some issues, mostly in terms of open hours. Because of safety concerns, we were only able to be open during hours when the library was closed. So during hours when the high school was closed, rather. So it presented some issues, and being at this new space really allows us to overcome some of those previous issues. So we can have really good hours here. We have plenty of space where we can have family events, kids events. And one of the really pretty amazing things about this library is it comes with a system called Open Plus. Open Plus access allows patrons to use the library outside of normal operating hours and was first introduced in Penn Valley. Open Plus is a system like at the 24-hour gym where with your library card, you could scan yourself into the building during hours when no staff is present. So essentially, you could be in the library until 10 p.m., have access to the computers, access to the collection, access to the Wi-Fi, just a place to hang out. If you want to check items out, we have self-check machines. We also have an app where you can just zap the item with your phone and be on your way, checks it right out to your account. So we're really blessed to have that system because we can offer so many more hours than we'd be able to without the Open Plus system. Nick says he's heard that some people have expressed concern about being in a library without staff, but he says so far the program has been a huge success. Any issues? And so there's a video camera system and there are parameters. So again, you have to have a library card, be in good standing. You go through an orientation about proper uses, improper uses of the facility during that time. And so there are definitely some, I've definitely heard from some community members that there is a bit of a safety concern. I think when people give it a chance, they'll see that it really is a safe environment. It feels really good in there. And we have not seen any behavioral issues that were happening during Open Plus hours. The new Bear River Library is located on Comby Road near the entrance to Lake of the Pines. It's open to all patrons during regular hours. And if you'd like access to an extended schedule, you can sign up for Open Plus at either the Bear River or Penn Valley branches. For KVMR, I'm Claudio Mendonça. We're poised to see a lot of water this weekend. But how do meteorologists determine which weather predictions hold, well, for lack of a better word, water? Lucky for us, hydrogeologist Steve Baker joins KVMR's Paul Emery in the latest edition of Water News, coming up next. The Water News is sponsored by Clearwater and Filtration, offering solutions for water quality, well operations, maintenance, and water storage management problems. Well, Steve, welcome to KVMR. I'm talking with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. And Steve, it looks like we have some 
atmospheric river storms coming our way. Uh, tell us about this. Well, they've swept right through here. Uh, the The word has, has been most recently that these atmospheric river storms are coming through pretty fast. So that's a good thing regarding flooding. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely happy to see that, that we're receiving the waters and I'm equally happy to see that flooding is, is down to the minimum. Steve, are these uh, weather predictions getting more accurate these days? Uh, the more data you have and the better the models you get, the better our predictions become. And I think that's what's developing. We have some great partnerships that have developed making this kind of prediction, uh, these kind of predictions a lot better. Uh, the Yuba Water Agency, hey, they've connected up with Scripps Institution of Oceanography at UC Davis San Diego. They become partners and now they're doing research together on this on this very thing. Scripps has been working with Yuba River Water Agency up here in Northern California since, since 2019. They've attached... Uh, uh, devices to balloons to collect data and they're producing, they're generating a lot of data to the forecasters and, and also the researchers. John James, he's the meteorologist and also the director of resource planning for the Uber Water Agency. He said that the new data is going straight into the weather models that are being used today. So yeah, yeah, they are getting more clear pictures as to what's going on in our weather these days. And that's, we're moving in the right direction. Nothing is perfect, but we're moving in the right direction. I do notice that by seeing the weather reports as they're printed in the union and also online, that they'll try to predict, say, 10 days out. And it does change. You know, it does change. Sometimes if it's a moderate amount of rain that's predicted 10 days out, it'll be no rain. Or it, it might be a lot of rain. But, you know, the whole, I think they're pretty good at it. Yeah, you know, it used to be that uh, they do fairly okay one day ahead. And they get a little bit fuzzy on three days. But now they are pushing it out 10 days, and they're re pretty reasonable. So there have been improvements. There's been a big focus on that, extending that out. And they're hoping to extend that to even a year, which uh, sounds like <laughs> a miracle to me. But we'll see what happens. Well, Steve, you're talking about the weather predictions coming up. And uh, I, I hope the salmon like this, you know. <laughs> All of us... Uh, would really like to see those populations come back the way they used to be. How is that looking? You know, I agree. Governor Newsom most recently, he created a strategy that is focused on just that thing, you know, restoring the salmon. He's talking about tearing down dams. We've heard that before. Improving the passage of salmon, restoring flows in specific waterways, and bringing up to date some of the hatcheries that we have that raise these uh, fish species. The caveat that he also puts in in there in his messaging is that all these efforts take time they take they take effort they take funding which is always dependent on the feasibility and the availability of resources and competing priorities so nothing's perfect but that's they're moving forward in that respect now when i first read this i thought this sounds more like they've put together goals that are already in progress. And then as I read further along, I, I realized that that's actually correct. Uh, the federal government, the tribes, the conservation groups, they're already doing these things. And, and now he's saying that, that he's created a strategy. Now, Scott Artis, the executive director of Golden State Salmon Association, he says the governor's repackaging what others have done on his watch. So, you know, that's sort of a double positive for me. I think that is what's going on. Pushing the Delta Tunnel, the site's reservoir, is considered by by governors of oppositional groups also as, as going in the opposite direction of 
protecting the salmon. So, uh, you know, what's really going on there? (laughs) What do you think our local communities believe? Hey, we have people believing the entire spectrum of ideas here. And that includes a lot of people who actually have absolutely no opinion whatsoever on these issues, too. It doesn't have a direct impact on our lives in the foothills all the time, so we don't think about it. The exception, of course, is Circle. Circle and all of its members that are up in the foothill areas and really across the state. You can really tell what the public opinion is by seeing what the public's doing, right? You know, directly. And then you correct the problems. Well, that can easily be done. It can be seen on February 15th to the 19th, right? Wild and Scenic Film Festival is coming again to Nevada City. So getting involved solves these problems. What I'm suggesting to the listeners is get involved. That's what's going to make the difference. Attend the film festival, pick your battle, and then you get on out there. You solve problems by working together with other people, and you get it done. Thank you, Steve. You bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVO Mars water guy, Steve Baker. You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Sure, maybe you've watched The Big Short a dozen times, but many of us aren't well-versed in the ins and outs of financial instruments. That's where Money Matters host Mark Cunaberti comes in. In today's commentary, Mark attempts to translate the financial language of financial instruments for us. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. When one hears about financial instruments on the evening news being the cause of the latest stock or economic route, they most likely roll their eyes and change the channel, not having the faintest idea of what the news anchor is talking about. Some might think, oh, Wall Street is up to their money games again and I'm going to end up paying for it. And yeah, that's about the long and short of it. A financial instrument is just a contract between two parties. There are many financial contract instruments that we use in our daily lives. They include things like stocks, checks, mortgages, bank deposits, and loans, to name but a few. But there are contracts that large financial institutions use that you might never have heard of. These larger financial contracts can be best understood as something resembling a bet. The professionals might prefer the term hedge, but bet pretty much covers it. These larger contracts act as insurance policies for large financial institutions. They can be simple mechanisms or very complex ones. One of the easiest ways to understand these products might be to compare them to your car insurance policy. You pay an insurance company a premium and they take the risk of covering any damage to your vehicle. Insurance is simply transferring your risk to another party for a fee. The same goes for many of these complex financial contracts. The writer of the instrument or the seller assumes a financial risk and gets paid by the other party, which is the buyer, to do so. There's always a winner and a loser. In the case of your car, if you don't have an accident, the insurance company wins the bet. If you do crash your car, you win the bet. 
Realistically, however, no one wins if they crash their favorite car, but you get the point. One of the most complex financial instruments is called a derivative. Warren Buffett, the famous investor and billionaire that runs Brickshare Hathaway, a huge investment firm, once coined derivatives as, quote, financial weapons of mass destruction, unquote. Buffett goes on to say he doesn't use derivatives for the most part because he doesn't fully understand them, makes us wonder who does. These instruments can go by acronyms like CDO, Collateralized Debt Obligations, MBS, Mortgage-Backed Securities, CMO, Collateralized Mortgage Obligations, and hundreds of other strange-sounding names and descriptions. You might recognize some of the names as making the evening news way back in 08 and 09 as the cause of the real estate blow-up and banking crisis, and you would be partially correct. Many of these derivative contracts such as the collateralized debt obligation and the mortgage-backed security did play a huge part in the crisis. The terms and conditions of these financial instruments can be very complex, as I said, such so as they may be understood by a very few, which may include the purchasers of these products and obviously the experienced investor, Warren Buffett. In the case of many of the 08 derivatives, like the mortgage-backed security or the collateralized debt obligation, many were bought by large pension funds, huge hedge funds, and even the investment funds of entire cities, states, and countries. As it came to be known, many of the managers of these funds understood very little about what they were buying and the subsequent risk they were exposed to, and therein lay the problem. Because they were so complex, in some cases the only people that really understood these things were the math quants that developed them. Many of these contracts were also intertwined and interdependent with each other, meaning a failure in one could cause failures in others, sort of like the proverbial game of dominoes, and the game played out very well in 2008 and 2009. Keep in mind, we're not talking about contracts for a few thousand dollars. The amount of the derivatives in force around 2008 was over 600 trillion, a staggering amount. Remember the gross domestic product of the entire planet which is all the money spent on all the goods and services around the globe in one year, is estimated at $88 trillion. That meant the $600 trillion of derivative contracts in force in 2008 was comparatively inconceivable. The amount in force today is just as large, if not even larger. As we found out in 2008, when something goes seriously wrong somewhere in the chain of these financial Frankensteins, things can go very wrong very fast and globally. Although we survived the 0809 global financial crisis and were assured by our monetary authorities that they have installed better safeguards and a repeat is not possible, that statement sure has a familiar ring to it. And we seem to have a lot of repeats. I'm watching the markets so you don't have to, and that concludes today's Money Matters. Today's newscast expresses my opinion only. It's not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell anything, nor represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or registered investment advisor, nor this media outlet, its staff, members, or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors, 1979, and California insurance license OL34249, and I'm a Medicare agent approved in the state of California. You can email me at news at Money Manager radio.com my name's mark cunaberti and now molly fisk molly fisk observations from a working poet 
Today I'm thinking about information and cell phones, in particular my weather app, something I check several times a day. Before I had a phone, I had a thermometer outside my front door in the shade. To read it, I went out, usually barefoot, put on my glasses, and peered under the tendrils of a passionflower vine. It was never easy to tell the difference between 84 and 87, because I buy things based on how they look instead of how well they work. The mercury in this cute, fake vintage item was nearly invisible. I got a general idea, though, felt the feelings relevant to being too hot, too cold, or happy about the day, and went back indoors. Then I had to buy a new-to-me used car when mine got totaled as it was parked innocently downtown. The new one had some bells and whistles, including a measurement of the outdoor temperature. I was amazed to discover this delighted me more than heated seats and a sunroof. I keep a running dialogue now in my head about how hot it is in my driveway compared to the freeway or the lake or my dentist's parking lot. It's so constant, I think I may have had a past life as meteorologist or farmer, and this is the first time I've admitted that to anyone. When my cell phone joined the party, I was primed. This is a simple app, not affiliated with NOAA or NASA or Weather Underground, whose name is clearly ridiculous. For underground weather, you want earthquake.com. If it's sunny, my app shows you a tiny yellow sun. If snowing, a blue snowflake. I'm so literal that kindergarten graphics work best. But I'm also practical. Looking out the window to find out if it's raining is still my first move. There are three great things about this weather app. You can look a few days ahead to see what conditions might be when you have to drive somewhere. You can get a real-time map of all the wind currents in the world slowly moving around, which is mesmerizing. And you can track the weather where your out-of-town friends live. Right now, it is cloudy and 47 degrees in Nevada City, but 25 and snowing in Wallkill, New York, where Ginny is either paying bills for her family's apple orchard or practicing Beethoven's Patatique on the piano. Yesterday, someone told me it was colder in Salt Lake City than Alaska. I immediately looked up the northernmost community in our country, the former Barrow, Alaska, now listed as Utkiavik, which I believe is Inupiaq, and the low is three degrees Fahrenheit. That seems a bit warm. The entire Midwest is covered with snow. I think Ellen can practice law from home in Denver, unless she has a court date. On the coast of Maine, people report minus double digits, and lobster shacks are floating away. The Pacific Northwest is also getting slammed. Peggy may be iced in and have to wear cleats to walk to work in Indianola, Washington. It's fine if this subject leaves you, ahem, cold. We all have different obsessions. Knowing what weather my nearest and dearest are going through makes me feel closer to them, which literally and metaphorically keeps me warm. Award-winning poet Molly Fisk writes, coaches, and teaches writing in California's Sierra Nevada foothills. You can reach her at mollyfisk.com.
This program is produced at the studios of KVMR-FM, Nevada City, California, with support from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. That's our newscast for this Friday, February 2nd. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and The Pizza Joint, offering a variety of New York-style pizza specialties prepared with fresh ingredients by the Slicer Pie, plus salads, pasta, and local beer. Closed Mondays, Commercial Street, Nevada City, thepizzajointnc.com, and Prosperity Lanes, offering 18 lanes of solar-powered, air-conditioned bowling with group accommodations, black light bowling, special needs accessibility, and league bowling. Shirley's Grill serves salads, soup, breakfast, burgers, and beer. Open daily, prosperitylanes.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.